that you have created us for that purpose, to truly love you, uh, to worship you, and to obey you. Lord, we thank you that you give us a heart not only to pursue obedience and righteousness, but to actually prefer it. Lord, I pray that you would continue, as you will, to change our hearts and our motivations. You, you keep refining us, and we thank you for that. And we ask that during this time, as we get ready for your table, as we remember all that you have done for us, that, again, if there's areas that need to be convicted in our hearts, there's things that need to change today, that we would be quick to be teachable, to acknowledge, to confess, to repent. Lord, I pray that you'd bring us together to the table in a, in a unity, unity with one another and with you, that our hearts would be pure, that we would partake in a worthy manner. Lord, help us to understand that if we don't partake in a worthy manner, we're bringing judgment on ourselves. We know that that judgment can be very, very, very severe. So we ask that we would partake in a way that would be pleasing to you from pure hearts. So we ask that you would prepare us, help us to stay focused, help us to understand what Colossians 4 is, how it's speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Junior church is dismissed. No, don't let the adults leave, just the kids. <laughs> you like to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 4. We actually looked at this last week for, as a closure for Missions Month, uh, but I, I want to continue on just for a couple of weeks. It's, it's really filled with a lot of very instructive stuff for us. And in two weeks from now, we're going to have the privilege of uh, having the president of Davis College here, Dino Padron. So he's going to be preaching two weeks from today. Let me read this for you. Again, Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And if you, if you break it down, the whole passage, and I want you to get this, the whole passage is really about witnessing. It really is drawing itself towards verse 5, excuse me, verse 6, where it says, let your speech always be with grace, knowing how to answer. It's, it's a passage on witnessing. He mentions it in verse uh, uh, 3 that he's saying, listen, I want you to pray for the fact of an open door and an open heart and an open mouth, as it were for me. But notice how he leads up to that. Paul is asking the, the Colossian believers at Colossae, He's really saying these three things I want you to do, and it leads towards evangelism, one of which is evangelism. First of all, verse 2, prayer. The whole thing, verses 2, 3, and 4, is on prayer. Pray. This is the point. Do you want to have an impact on your world? Do we want to have an impact on our world as individuals, 
and as a church. The Lord's convicting my heart more and more. We're not having, I'm not having the impact. I'll just put it personal. But I need to pray. I need to pray for myself. I need to pray for others. Prayer is the first thing. That's what we looked at last week. You know what's really interesting about prayer is this, that through prayer you can accompany any missionary to the remote reaches of this earth. Isn't that really cool? I just think that is so cool. I can be praying for the Schiffers and affecting their life and the people there in Jamaica. Why don't we take advantage of this? By the way, have you this last week? Did you, did you sign up for certain people to pray for and have you started praying for them? You can pray for the Kennedys in Ghana and affect them and affect the people that they minister to. You can accompany people around this world. Now, last week we looked at some things that we need to be praying, how we should pray. We should pray with diligence because it says continue, continue earnestly in prayer. That's diligence. And it also says be alert or be vigilant, which is be in alertness. See, I want you to think back on your prayer life this last week. Were you diligent? Or did you start out very passionate, maybe even on Monday, and by Wednesday you actually forgot to do it? Again, we want to be diligent, alert, but if we mix that in with thanksgiving, that's humility there. Because a a humble Christian is a praying Christian, and a praying Christian will be a humble Christian. And a humble Christian is a sign of one who is thankful. See, a thankful Christian is one who is, is, uh, is humble. So we want to be thankful. With thanksgiving, that's primarily focused to God. But it's not just about us, though it's important to pray for yourself. He also says, meanwhile, praying also for us. So our prayer life should include more than just for me. It should include me, but it should be more than just me. I find it very refreshing when I'm when I'm disciplined in prayer, I'm not always disciplined in prayer, but I'm becoming more and more and more and more disciplined in prayer. It's still a, a struggle. But I'll tell you what, there is nothing like walking away from prayer times like this last week and knowing that I've lifted many of you up. Boy, that is just so excellent. It's like the burden is off of me. I've placed it on one who can carry the burden, and I know, I know I've blessed you without you even knowing it. But that's, how, that's what it can be for you. Do you ever feel that in your gut, you feel like you're just so busy and you can't. Stop. Ask God to help you to pray because that is where blessing is found. So that's how we should pray with diligence and alertness and thanksgiving and as I said last week, camaraderie. Pray for us. Pray for me. Pray for the elders. There's so much to pray for. But again, then he goes on and he says, but this is what I want you to pray for. He says, pray for a door i.e. opportunity, pray for an open door. And that when I go through the door, that God would open to us the door. So there's receptivity. You ever talk to somebody and you know their ears are closed? But not only that, you pray for clearness, that I might make it manifest, clear as I ought to speak. I mean, this passage is so practical, and it's not even on prayer. It's really about witnessing. But Paul says, listen, I need to have God's direction here, His strength, His power, His clarity. 
So what is he really praying for? I want you to pray for an open door. I want you to pray for an open heart of the people I speak with. And I want you to pray that I would have an open mouth. And he goes on and he says, I'm in chains over in Ephesians. He says this, pray that I would have boldness. I think that's a very practical thing I, should, I could pray for each one of you. That you would have an open door, an open heart, and that when you speak, you would speak with boldness. And that I would. S.D. Gordon said this, Prayer opens a whole planet to man's activities. You can affect the entire planet if we would but take the opportunity. And I know many of you are prayer warriors. But my concern is perhaps many of you are not. And you're working hard. Maybe even the Christian life, you're working very hard. But feel like you're going nowhere. Stop. God wants you to pray. I really do believe that. Nothing on this earth happens spiritually unless somehow it is associated back to prayer and God. So again, it's worth the time. We need to see it as that. It's the priority. So he says pray. That's the first thing we need to do. And now verse 5, he says walk. That's living. Finally, next week we're going to look at let your speech. That's witnessing. That's sharing. So you have praying, walking, sharing. In that order, praying, walking, walking the life, and then sharing the gospel. Have you ever had someone that says they're spiritual, try to help you in an area, may not be witnessing, but you look at their life and you say, don't share anything with me. Your life doesn't match what your words say. Maybe that's how the world sometimes looks at Christians. You know, they've done studies over the years and, and they always come out with the same conclusion. That the average Christian, I don't mean you and Alfred Allman, hopefully not, But the average Christian looks almost exactly like the average unsaved person. I.e., their walk, their living is no different. And so we take a message to them and they say, but why is your message different? Your life is not. So Paul, I think, does a very interesting thing. He says, listen, I want you to pray for me and I want you to pray for yourself and I've told you. But now I want you to walk in wisdom. I want you to make sure that you're walking with the Lord before you're trying to share the Lord. So he says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Obviously, that's the watching world, those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. Just a good question for all of us to ponder. How do the unsaved, how do the unbelievers look at you? And now you know a lot of unbelievers, I'm sure. I'm sure you work with unbelievers, you have them in your neighborhood. You perhaps have friendships with unbelievers, people who do not know Jesus Christ. How do they see you? How do they view you? Maybe you're a landlord and you have people renting from you who are not believers. Or maybe you're the renter and the person you're renting from is an unbeliever. Maybe it's an employer or an employee. You know, questions such as, do you pay on time whatever you're supposed to do? Is your word good? Do you have integrity? Again, too often our problems, the problem is not that we do not talk to the lost, it's that the life we live around them is the problem. They see us. They see the fact that you're the employer, but how are you different from the guy down the road? Your frustration, your anger, who knows? Maybe it's you're the employee and and you do cut corners and you don't put in a decent day's uh, uh, time for the wage that you get. 
You know, there's so many areas, and I don't want to keep going through them all because there's so... But think about this. You're an employee, you're an employee. You're a worker, you're a husband, you're, you're a neighbor, you're a friend. You represent the church. How do people see you? How does the world see us? Because he says this, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. You know, if you go to Scripture, there's a lot that's said about doing good to others. Luke 6 says this, but love your enemies. I would say an enemy is most likely an unsafe person, an outsider. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. That word good means, actually he's pointing more to the external. (coughs) Not that the internal is not there, but he's saying, listen, do good to people. That was why the early church had such a great impact. I'm not saying that we cannot and we don't have. Some of you have great impact. But what really impacts the unsaved is that we love them and we do good. In Galatians 6, 9, notice this. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. There again, that same type of word, except this one is different. It's a different Greek word. This is used, this word good is used of the good shepherd in John 10, where I am the good shepherd. And there he's talking about this, that Jesus Christ is not only, only externally good, but his externals are perfectly matched with internally good. Okay? The good shepherd. Kalos. This is the word that's used here in Galatians. And let, let us not grow weary while doing kalos, doing good. You're, you internally and externally are good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. By the way, is it easy to lose heart doing good? You know, you share the word or you share something with someone, you help someone out, and then you realize that you're really not getting as far along as you thought you would be. And maybe they don't even appreciate it. And what do we do? We move on. We lose heart in doing that good to that situation. He goes on, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. And then he says, and especially to the household of faith, but to all, not just Christians. Let us be do-gooders. Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's kalos. That's the internal-external. Make sure your works, your external works, match with your heart and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the light. That's the light that we should have. So how do unsaved people view you? Do they view you as critical, irritated, gossip, slanderer? Do they view you as peaceful, joyful, gentle, kind? Do you see the big impact we have? By the way, they're watching. I've realized this many times. When you go through trials, when you have difficulties. So let's say you're at work. This is a common one. And your co-worker irritates you. If you hurt and strike back, and maybe even slander and gossip about that person in front of this unsaved person, what, are they, what conclusion are they drawing? Apparently they say they trust God, but they really don't, right? How we respond is huge. But he says do it from the heart. It's not just next to, it's not this. No, everything's just fine. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, make sure that when you say everything is fine, that it really is in your heart. The internal matches the external. Well, let's break this down. Just three simple things. First of all, we must live consistently. The word walk is in the present tense. It means consistently. (coughs) Walk. Not just being consistent 
on Monday and Tuesday and Friday, but there's a consistency to your walk. By the way, if you're consistent, it will also be convincing. We must live both consistently and convincingly. That word walk literally views the Christian life in its totality. Uh, he's not saying run. He's literally just, and it's very similar to the walk when we, it says walk in the Spirit. The idea is that you just, you know, there's a consistency in your walk and you're just moving through life. I mean, again, conviction is here in my heart. Uh, I.e., there's integrity. The internal does match the external. What you present in public is what, you, what they would actually see if they were in your own home. I find it interesting over the years as I've counseled people, someone, you know, they might have an issue. I remember one time years ago talking to somebody and they were talking about their issue of anger. And they said, yeah, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm angry. And I said, well, would you agree with that? And the person, you know, that they're counseling with, yeah, I know, no, they're, they're angry, all right. This is what was so interesting. I said, um, tell me, uh, if I was to go to your workplace, would they say that you were an angry person? Oh, no. No, never. I'm, I, they would look at me somewhat as, you know, together and, and under control. See, okay, so the, really what was being presented is not really what was in the heart. Actually, it was the reverse. He, the person presented a positive but in the heart there was a lot of anger. But see, this, this word, this word walk, has to do with the total. That what you are externally is really what you are internally. So even if you brought in trials in that person's life, it would still remain the same because that heat would not change how they respond, whether it was in the workplace or at home. So there's a consistency. First uh, Thessalonians 4.12 says... That you walk, walk, I like, and again, same word, walk properly. In other words, a proper manner towards those who are outside. It's funny, he keeps going back. This is Paul's emphasis in many of his epistles. Periodically, he'll say, listen, make sure you live the Christian life properly before those who, that don't understand Christ. Because how are you going to share the gospel with them if your life does not match the gospel? Thessalonians 3.13 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Same word. Or Titus 3.8 Those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Talking about all men. Our name. We're called Christian. By the way, in, in Scripture, I think it's only three or four times that the word Christian is used. But Christ's ones. We represent Christ. At times in my life, I wish I didn't name the name of Christ because I did something that really blackened His name. Don't you ever feel like that sometimes, that you could walk away and, and people didn't know you were a Christian? And I had to go back. Just recently, I, I, it was a simple thing. I was at the garbage drop-off, and I pulled up. I was in a hurry. I saw a guy that was waiting there, and I knew the guy. And he was waiting there, and I didn't know if he was, uh, he was the next in line, because he was kind of off to the side, and he was actually talking to the attendant. So I just looked at him, and I drove right by in the sense of getting ready to back in. And as soon as the other car came out, I backed in, took my garbage off literally 30 seconds, and left. 
But as I was doing that, he came in. Oh, you know, you wait in line and you don't, you know, and, and you just get bumped, or however he said it. Probably use more flower for language than that. And I felt really convicted. You know, here's an unsaved person. I knew him, I know him quite well. And uh, not a friend, but just, and so, you know, about a, about a it was probably a, maybe a day, I guess it was. And I actually afterwards, you know, the Lord kept saying, listen, are you humble or not? You did wrong. You should have got out and asked him, are you the next one in line? Or are you just talking to the attendant? You know, what, what is it? So I went over to his house and actually said, you know, I, I, yesterday it was this, and, you know, I was in a rush and didn't even ask you, and, you know, and I basically wasted two minutes of your life. I didn't say it that way. I could have thought that, but I was wrong. And, you know, and I apologized. And I, I think he didn't even know how to accept it. You know, oh, well, I know people, I, you know. And I said, well, you know, it is wrong. I just want you to know, you know, I'll be more paying attention. Um, did, did that help my testimony? I don't know. But I think it was the right thing to do regardless. Of, he may probably didn't even know who I was. He may have, may not. But the thing is, we do represent Christ. Okay, so just do the right thing. Sometimes that's what we have to do. We fail, but we have to go back. Even if the person says, I don't accept it. Well, but it's the right thing to do. You know, there's an interesting uh, illustration of this. Back in the days of the Greek Empire, an army deserter was brought to Alexander the Great. Now again, he was a deserter. What infuriated the Greek emperor the most was learning that the deserter's name was Alexander. And this is what he told. He said, young man, either change your conduct or change your name. You know, I think sometimes as followers of Christ, we have to take very, very seriously who we represent. It's not just about me. It's not just about my family. It's about representing Jesus Christ. So we need to live consistently. Nietzsche, the skeptic who who proclaimed that God was dead, once said this, Show me first that you are redeemed, then I'll let you talk to me about your Redeemer. First of all, just show me that you're redeemed. Don't just come to me about your Redeemer. That's why elders are, are told to that we must have a good reputation with those who are outside. I mean, it's again, if you start really looking at it, this week I started doing you know more in-depth study. It's just amazing to me how many times Paul says to live reputably, live in a good way, live with good works before the unsaved. Because you're setting yourself up to either have a good witness or a poor one. That's why slaves, even slaves, now think about slaves, they had no freedom. If anyone could be bitter, this is what he tells slaves in Titus 2, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. He tells slaves to adorn the gospel. That word adorn is the word we get cosmio. We get cosmetic. How many of you women would have liked to come here today with no cosmetics on? Let's say the electric was off. You couldn't take a shower. You couldn't even do your hair. Hi, I'm here. We'd probably have half the church empty. No, we kind of depend. We want the... Now, cosmetics are external. They're not the internal. But again... We want to adorn the gospel. Or as he says it, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. <coughs> How are you doing at adorning the gospel? Well, let's go to the second one. Not only live convincingly and consistently, but we need to live godly. Number two, live godly. 
He says, in wisdom. By the way, wisdom, Sophia is the word, is skill in living a godly life. It's living out what we believe. It's interesting that in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the very beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. So we start understanding. The fear of the Lord is really, in some respects, a synonymous term of believing in God, believing in Christ, New Testament term. The fear of God is that I believe who He is, that He is holy, that He is just, but He's also loving. I believe that in my sinful state I am condemned, I am judged, I'll have the wrath of God on my life. But I also believe that... God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for me, and I've placed my trust in Him. That's the beginning. Do you see how that's the beginning? Because it, it's, it says, this is who God is, this is who I am, and I've applied it. Skillful living with, with uh, knowledge says, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, as a, as, a, as a sacrifice, as a substitute for my sin. Uh, why, do I, why am I bringing all this in? Because wisdom is living godly. You know, we, do, we don't want to think of wisdom as just knowledge, okay? Walk in wisdom is practical steps that we're taking. Too many people, we, we think too often, if I know it, I have it, and that's not how it is in Scripture. If I know it and do it, I have it. A few weeks ago, we were talking about this, I think, in home group. The difference between Greek thinking and Jewish thinking is this. A Greek said, if you know it, again, you have it. Jewish thinking was always, if I know it and I do it, then, you know, then I become godly. And that's what wisdom is. It's not just knowing. It's not just knowledge. It's not just instruction. It's actually living it out. That's what, living out Christianity is what makes it attractive. What makes it Christianity so attractive is when, especially as you watch people, this is what's been great for me as I've, uh, I've been in the ch- this church a long time, and many of you have been here a long time, and as I've watched myself grow and I've watched you grow. Isn't that so? That is so encouraging. That's wisdom being played out. And as we grow in Christ, as we walk in wisdom, we have a, a good testimony of those who are outside. So what does it mean to walk wisely? Well, let's go over to James chapter 3. Because he has some... I mean, we could have just as easily gone to 1 Corinthians 13 or Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit. But here he's actually using the word. What does it look like to live godly, to live wisely? James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct, there again, your good walk, that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But, now this is contrast, this is what you shouldn't be, this is what sometimes we are. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. That's worldly wisdom. Bitterness. Bitterness would go along with anger and wrath and slander and Self-seeking, pride and arrogance and selfishness. Verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, that's not what God gives, but is earthly. Now notice also sensual and demonic. Let's get back to what what else it does. For where envy and self-seeking exist, look at this, confusion and every evil thing are there. Contrast, but the wisdom from that is from above... 
All right, now let's, let's look at some of these. Is first pure. The, when you have something pure, it means it's consistent, i.e. there's integrity. First pure. And then peaceable. Peaceable. Uh, peacemaker. That's, what, that's living out true wisdom. That's what it looks like. You're a peacemaker. You're not one who wants to create problems, create anxiety, create stress, but you're a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker? Do you promote peace? How about the next one? Gentle. The note says this, such a person will submit to all kinds of mistreatment and difficulty with an attitude of kind, courteous, patient humility. That's what it means to be gentle. (coughs) Willing to yield. Willing to yield. Uh, They can be persuaded. By the way, even in your marriages, are you the type of person that can be persuaded? Or is it this, my way or the highway? I'm not going to change. My way is the right way. In fact, I'm not even sure why you would even think that. Or are you type that is teachable? Flexible. Willing to yield. Doesn't have to have my way. Because humility says, you know what? There's other ways that we can do this. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. The gift of showing concern for those who suffer. In other words, tender-hearted, compassionate. You can add all that stuff in. This is what wisdom looks like. And then good fruits. Without partiality. And without hypocrisy. Well, hypocrisy, obviously, you're not not wearing a mask because the word hypocrisy was used of actors because they literally presented themselves something as they really were. But again, without partiality, judging things according to what truth says. Now, now just think about that. Can you see how that would just have a major impact on the world? Pure, integrity, peaceful, peacemaker. You go to that person, they don't want to hear the gossip. In fact, they want to resolve the conflict. They want you to be friends with that other person. They don't want to see it go on. Gentle. They're hurt. Maybe they have been. Maybe they've been passed over in a promotion. God literally allowed them to be passed over to to show the world, that's one of my children right there. They're not living according to your standards. That's why they accept it the way they do. Okay? Or willing to yield. Four different plans are on the table, and that person, that Christian, was not accepted. The other plan was. And you know what? He put a lot of work in that plan, and he was okay with it. Why? Because he has an eternal perspective. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on it, but this, this earth is passing away. It's not about my prestige. Mercy. Yeah, someone got hurt, and they were there. Not everybody was there, but that one Christian in that day, he was there. He, he asked about that person's cancer. He wanted to know how he could pray, and he kept asking. Do you see how, how lovely that is to the world? Because that's exactly the opposite of what a, Christian, or a non-believer does many times. By the way, there are some very, very nice, very, very good, in the human sense, unbelievers, right? It's sad when the believer has less character than the one that's the unbeliever. There's a story about a man named Jim. He was an elder of a church. And and his main ministry was to oversee the evangelism of new people that moved into the area. Sun Lee and his family were Vietnamese refugees who had recently moved in. Jim began helping them to get food and then spent much time finding Sun Lee a good job. 
Jim wanted so much to tell Sun Lee about Jesus Christ, but he didn't know Vietnamese. And refugees knew very little English. Both men sought to learn the other's language so that they could become better friends. I mean, can you sense the, I want to tell him about Christ. One day Jim felt that he knew enough now to tell Sun Lee about Jesus. Jim began to explain about God and, and Jesus to Sun Lee, but the more he talked, the more confusing it seemed to get. Sun Lee would repeat in Vietnamese a little of what Jim said in English. Finally, Jim was so frustrated that he decided to give up trying to communicate until he had learned more of the language. Sun Lee at that point blurted out, Is your God like you? If he is, I want to know him. Jim explained that Jesus Christ was greater than he was, far greater. Yet Sun Lee wanted to know more about Christ if he was like Jim. Jim had thought for all these months that he was not communicating the gospel, but he was. With the greatest form of communication a person can, by example. By example. People are watching our example. And we're, first of all, examples of Christ before we even speak his name. So are you a good example? Are you living a godly life, a God-like life? A life like in James chapter 3. So we must live consistently, we must live godly, and finally, we must live carefully, making the most of the opportunity. I think the King James says, redeeming the time. That word redeem, or making the most, is the word for, for redemption. I mean, it's used in different contexts. It's for buying up from the power of another to buy up the entire stock of an, uh, for an opportune moment. Uh, again, it's a spending term. Uh, ladies, you probably would get more out of this. I guess ladies spend more. Is that true? No, I know, I know. I just wanted to rattle your chain, see if you're still there. Um, yeah, what do they say? Uh, you know, w- women buy small toys and men buy big toys. So, no, yeah. Yeah, we won't go there. The idea of this is Again, we must live carefully, making the most, i.e. seize the opportunity. Now, I don't mean the buying opportunity. I don't mean the 75% off opportunity. He's saying buy the, uh, seize the moment of the opportunity that you have to witness, to share, to live, to live the life. Live the life so that you, you almost win the right to share. Again, we need to live it carefully. In fact, one man said this, we need to live a carefully planned, consistent, righteous life. It has to be carefully thought out. See, some of you may be in a very hard situation. By the way, if you are, this is even more important for you. You know it's a hard situation. You have to think ahead of time, how am I going to respond to this hard situation? I know it's there. And you know, it only takes, I've I've thought about this. I've thought about this in my own family. There's, There's points of time when I get really frustrated and there's and I and, and I think language in my mind that I used to use back when I was in high school very very wicked language and I've thought to myself what if I just blurted out in the midst of a very angry conversation let's say I'm having with my kids three or four expletives you know how much damage that would do all of my consistency would go down the drain at that very second, right? So at times, and there has been times, there's not a lot, I mean, I don't, <laughs> but there's been a few times it got really intense and I've had to say, you know, all right, Lord, just get the, please help me to rethink that. And thankfully I didn't say it. 
But it only takes that one instance, right? It takes that one instance at work. It takes that one instance in the home. It takes that one instance with your spouse. To live wisely means consistently, but it also means carefully. Opportunities are, are fleeting by. Life is short. And so Paul says, listen, use your opportunities like money seeking the greatest return for the investment. So at work, plan out how are you going to, if, if you're not, now hopefully you're already, yeah, Lord, or John, this is how I'm seeking to, to serve the Lord. But if it's not, you may have to go back and as I did to that one man and, and ask his uh, forgiveness. You may have to start planning better. Yes, I am, I am working for just an ungodly boss and I keep blowing. Lord, how can I reset this, replan this so that I'm a living example for you? Ephesians 5 is the passage that mirrors this one. It says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Same word. Not as unwise, but as wise. It's amazing how much content is. Making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God... Don't be a fool. Be wise. A foolish person lives for himself. A foolish person lives for today. A foolish person says sin doesn't matter. But a wise does exactly the opposite. We'll have a great impact if we live a godly life. And you know, that, that godliness is kind of like... It just, it just like permeates... There was a story of a missionary to China who was in language school. Now think about this. A lot of commitment goes into going to language school. We have a number of new tribe missionaries. They say it takes two or three years just to learn the language. So he's in language school. The very first day of class, the teacher entered the room and without a word walked down every row of students. Finally, still without saying a word, she walked out of the room again. And then she came back and addressed the class. Did you notice anything special about me, she asked. Nobody could think of anything in particular. One student finally raised her hand. Well, I noticed that you had on very lovely perfume. Everybody in the class chuckled. But the teacher said that was exactly the point. You see, it will be a long time before any of you will be able to speak the Chi- to Chinese well enough to share the gospel with anyone in China. But even before you're able to do that, you can minister the sweet fragrance of Christ to these people by the quality of your lives. It is your lifestyle lived out among the Chinese people that will minister Christ to them long before you're able to say one word to them about personal faith in Christ. It is like that with us. Though we may not be eloquent speakers, unbelievers we encounter will be ministered to by Christ's lightness of our daily lives, if we indeed are like Christ. Yeah, you come across somebody that has love, true love in their heart for people. And they have joy. Their their joy is not based upon circumstance. In fact, you've watched them and they've they've had hard circumstance, but... Their joy remains intact. And peace also. That just that subtle, confident calmness. They have that gentleness and that kindness and that self-control. And they have all the fruits of the Spirit. 
and it's just like a fragrance. I know my wife has a particular fragrance. And every time I, I always tell her, boy, that smells great. And she always laughs. She always says, what's the one you like? Well, the thing is, the people will sense that too. You will have like, as it were, a fragrance. If indeed you're truly walking with the Lord. And God will put things in your life. Just remember, this is the final thing. He will put things in your life to show the fragrance, to make the contrast. See, if your life was easy, well, of course you should have that. But he will put in things that are hard, are difficult, circumstances and people. Why? Because now when you show the fragrance of love and peace and kindness and gentleness, oh, what's different about you? You're going through heat and you still show that fragrance. You still, I, I, it pervades around you. Do you see how that makes? See, he puts you in those situations so that you have an opportunity to glorify him. Let's go before the Lord. I would ask that you would just talk to him. Prepare your hearts. Don't come before this table with a heart that's not right with God. Again, I want to say that this, the, the communion, the, the bread and the cup, does not give grace Right? This is just a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He did it all on the cross. And when we receive him, his righteousness, all that we need has been laid to our account. So this does not give grace. This just shows us that we have been graced by Christ. Okay, No salvation is found in actually taking the elements. Let's prepare our hearts and ushers if you would come forward. When uh, Rome wanted to exalt a uh, general who had won a great battle, they would do for him a triumph. And what that was is, after the battle, the captives and the soldiers of the winning side and the general would come back to Rome, and they would literally bring them right through the city streets. It could last for up to a week. Not just walking, but, but the whole ceremony. And what they would do is they would literally start with uh, pictures of the battle. They didn't have photography, but they would literally draw pictures of the battle. And they would then have the captives, some of the key captives that they had been able to capture, some of the generals from the other side. And then, then they would have some of the artifacts and the, the uh, spoils of war. And they would have the gold and the silver and some of the key things that they had captured in the key battle. And then, and then they would have the soldiers that won, the Roman soldiers, and they would walk through. And, and then finally there would be the general himself. Okay, Many times he would be leading in part of the procession. But part of the whole thing, they would also throw thousands and millions of flowers on the ground during this triumph. And they say that Rome would just smell of all the flowers, the fragrance. And that's the picture that Paul has that we are to the world in 2 Corinthians where it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Now think about it. In triumph in Christ. Those soldiers were insignificant except for they were following the general. That's what made them important in that triumph. 
he goes on and says, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And it's just such a beautiful picture because, again, the only significance those foot soldiers had was their connection with the general that was victorious. And the only significance you have is your connection with Jesus Christ. And we are, as it says, the fragrance of Christ to God and also to this world. It's only as we follow Jesus Christ that we can have that fragrance. To some who are being saved, even to them, some who are not being saved and will never be saved, but we still are the fragrance of Christ to them. Are you walking with your general? Are you following his commands? Is his life being produced in your life? And because of that, are you making an impact on the world? I trust you are. Just remember this. You may have failed. You may have failed even as of today. But your general paid the, your, 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 uh, your payment in full, right? And you can get right back in line following him as of right now. Sometimes we fail. We fail miserably. Just remember, we don't earn our salvation. It was given to us by Jesus Christ complete, right? And we are confident in him. Father, again, we thank you that we can make an impact on this world for you. But again, we know it's only because we walk with you. Father, we thank you for your plan. Lord, we thank you for your redemption towards us. May we be filled by your spirit so that we might have the power and the wisdom to be able to live a godly life for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.